0: Welcome and thank you for joining us in season three of the Real Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion.
1: Hey Joel, howdy Eric, good afternoon. It's sunny here today. How's it? How's it for you up, up, good up north? For you,
0: we're we're not quite to that yet. I mean, the sun is out, but we're still in the forties, fifties. Dang it! I <laughs> yeah, miss the hot. I want to sweat again. I forget what oh, that's like. Yeah, no, you're not sweating
1: unless you're, you know, in a, in a in in like an indoor sauna somewhere. But uh, it is a good like sixty degrees though today. Nice, or at least that's what it feels like. I just had an outdoor lunch with a congregant, and it, I wasn't cold. And for me, that threshold is about 60 for me not to be cold. So, All
0: with right. a sweater on. You yes. haven't had any Russian bombs fall in Athens lately, have oh, you? Oh, my
1: God. What a nightmare. What a nightmare.
0: Not my topic today, though. Okay, good. I hear they're, they're bombing Holocaust museums now. That just happen to be right next door to telecom towers. And... Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there is no question that our listeners have, unfortunately, way too many options to see all of the horrible atrocities that Russia is committing. Um, But what are we talking about today?
0: Well, I'm, I am going to go tangentially to that. I but I learned it's your something. topic, man. <laughs> just it. go for it. All right. I, yeah. I learned something the other day, and it's a Forbes article, and I it, it just came across, and I don't know why it grabbed my attention, but you know, it was, it's Russia, Ukraine, the U.S., and inflation and oil, and it just like it was throwing all that. So this doesn't have a lot to do with faith, but it it might. Um, I didn't realize this, but it appears that Russia produces about 10 million barrels per day of crude oil and natural gas condensate. Um, and, wow, you know, U.S. is first place. We, we produce about 11, and Saudis produce nine. But the U.S. consumes 17 million barrels per day. And Russia only consumes like three, and the Saudis only consume like four. So they are exporting, the two of them are exporting 13 million barrels per day, and we need half of that, what they export, just to break even as a country. And then I drove my young, my middle son, we uh, Jill and I put him in the car, and we drove up to Brooklyn to drop him off at his new apartment, and I stopped and got gas and filled up my... Volkswagen Passat, which gets 30 plus miles to the gallon, but I just realized, man, every drop of oil or gas I put into my car, I am feeding a Russian war. And, and I can't, I can't break the cycle. Like, I, I, I don't like this feeling of I am complicit. We as a country are complicit in Feeding Putin's war by driving, and and I don't know if you have a a helpful response to that. <laughs> well, I I don't, I
1: don't know how helpful it will be. It's certainly a um, yeah, a kind of a yes and, and certainly an empathetic, uh, I feel your pain kind of response in that. Um, so you know are the reform rabbi's retirement, uh, is, is based on a pension and it's called the RPB, the reform, reform pension board. Um, and it employs a a small full-time staff and, and, you know, they find things to, to invest in. And, um, without getting too in the weeds on this, there were some posts in my, um, I'm a part of what's called the CCAR, the central, central conference of American rabbis. It's, it's a kind of union, although I don't know that it's technically a unit union, um, you know. But it, it's a it, where the Reform rabbis to, that you know we chat on Facebook, we get together once a year, God willing, for conventions, um, and there was a post either yesterday or a few days ago about does anyone know about investment strategy with regard to Russia? Like, are we? so a few people called. And whereas there's nothing that is explicitly direct, there's certainly funds, you know, it's almost impossible to get a mutual fund tied to the general stock market. That's not in, in, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a professional investor. I know just enough to get me into trouble, but you know, there's going to be Russia in there somewhere. Right. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, this isn't quite the same, Joel, but, um, I, I find it helpful and you can tell me what you think. Um you know as you and I know and our listeners might know, you know I'm a little bit of a video game person. <laughs> uh and a game came out earlier this year called Diablo 2 published by a company Activision Blizzard. That's very much in the news and has been for the past 2 years um with regard to kind of just icky, awful behavior toward women, toward minorities—you um, know, all sorts of awful stuff—and so much so that even review outlets, when when reviewing Activision Blizzard games in the past year, have put kind of a disclaimer above their review. And I really wanted to buy this game, not, and I have bought it, and not that I've played it much, of course, but I—but I, at least I have it. Um, and I went through this kind of thing: is you know, how can I buy this game? You know, I want to support the de- the developers that worked on it in in good faith, but I don't want to support kind of the the corporate um, culture that the game was made in. And so, someone gave me a good idea. They said, buy the game, and then spend more than the game on a cause that you know you're you're fighting for with regard to it. So. Um, I, I gave uh, to a LBGTQ plus organization. And I think in this case, um, a, a similar thing applies. I, I think we could take... <laughs> it a, seems
0: like, though, in that situation, all you're doing is accelerating the arms race between two opposing factions. And I'm I'm like, I seriously went on AutoTrader and scanned a hundred mile radius for all electric vehicles. Uh, you just... All right. Can I find a used car? And I found a few small Volkswagens and one of the old tiny little BMW weirdos, right? That was all electric and it's not the most current all electric, but the range is enough. I'd get 200, 250 miles range out of it. So if I had to commute somewhere, I could do it. Um, and, and I just thought, yeah, like I think it, it's not a great monetary investment. I'll sell my car for eight or nine or 10,000. I'll buy another one for 12 or 14 or 16,000 I'll spend money to do this but I'll stop immediately contributing to war on the other side of the planet and and it it feels like there's got to be some way that we as Americans don't just justify our convenience anymore but we actually sacrifice or change daily habits and practices to embody what we say our ethic is, and so and it's, hard, it's a weird world. I because know because it's not,
1: and it, and 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 that I don't say that as a reason to do nothing either. But like I, you know, I'm kind of in this with you, so it, to an extent. Um, but like to what, where you know the the famous question of where do you draw the line? I mean, there's always going to be some convenience. Like I think about the iPhone. Like if I really took the values that I try and live by and certainly teach to their complete logical conclusion, I would not own an iPhone or possibly a computer for that matter. Or well, You could because buy a used
0: of- one that gives them no value. True, right? but it you, gives you it know, puts then, no money in their pocket. You just buy used so one. But there's so
1: many examples of sure. things like this, and you know we all have our you know in Georgia, uh, and you and I have talked about this. Uh, you know, there's people that, for example, won't eat at Chick fil A because Chick fil A has been in the past big donors to you know, some awful things regarding, again, LGBTQ plus uh, communities and individuals. And everyone's welcome to make their own individual choices. But I, re- I think what really matters is the systemic change. And so, you know, for me, the decision, this is going to sound strange, for me, the decision for you not to drive your car, the difference it's making is within you. I mean, right? Like it's not... It's not making I, – I, I hesitate to use the words it doesn't make a difference because it does make a difference because it makes a difference with you and your values. And perhaps, you know, other people then emulate that and it kind of has a, a cascading effect. But the actuality of one person changing their behavior does not affect the real change we want to see. Um, If I could just be permitted, and I've already spoken more than you and it's your topic, so I'm aware of this. But um, I was listening to a podcast recently that talked about the wool that was pulled over our eyes with regard to the electric companies once environmentalism was starting to be taken seriously. And that is namely that they moved what should have been a responsibility on a larger scale to individuals. Like the whole thing of, well, if you shower five minutes less a day, you save this many gallons. And if you don't turn on lights at night. And yes, we should all be responsible for the electricity and the resources that we use. But real change is caused through systemic policy. And uh, th- that's very tangentially related to your topic, I know, but, but I think it's relevant.
0: Gosh, there's so many points in there that I want to come to Yeah, I'm going to stop talking. Please, go. No, it's just <laughs> it's good stuff. So, one, um, I, I'm, I am not even going to put a toe into the thing that you said that sounds true but better not be true. <laughs> that one person making a change doesn't make a difference right so every person I wouldn't say
1: that's what i said though it i think you could uh, you could take a cynical view and that would be the cynical view yeah
0: but... like so the responsibility whether or not one person making a vote makes a difference in electing a president whether or not one person buying electric car instead of a gas guzzler Makes a difference. Those are the same, same kind of situations. So the what we, only,
1: I would say they're not the same in that a vote is a systemic kind of thing.
0: It's nothing. A vote is nothing. Nothing more than me buying a tank of gas. Whether I vote, whether I don't vote, what my one little vote doesn't matter, right? But what matters is the wave of people who do it together and don't lie about it. That makes the difference. But even then, it doesn't appear to freaking change the system, which is going to piss me off. So I, I have to believe that our ability to make change always starts with starting in our own household. And the system change I want upstream, I cannot expect if I'm not already making it in my own personal life, nor can I preach it upstream if I'm not already making it in my own personal life. And there are a lot of those that I can't. The other one I, I need to spend some time
1: Totally. On. I, I feel like just the <laughs> my conscience be, I totally agree. Of course. Completely, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I know you do. Like you're just the slippery slope argument. Where do you draw the line? Something. Um, I hear that one a lot. Normally, if I happen to see a replay of a Tucker Carlson show, um, because the issue, <laughs> <laughs> the, the issue with that is – you, you draw the line where you can't go any farther, right? So can I do that? Yes. So I should, and I will. Can I do that too? Yes. So I should, and I will. Is it going to hurt? Yes. Is there going to be some sacrifice? Yes. But I'm going to do that too. What about that? Yes. I'm going to go for that too. So if it's how you buy your clothes used, or if it's how you buy your technology used, or whatever, um, you're doing all that in order to – if you don't shop on Amazon anymore, if you don't – whatever. There's a lot of little little decisions we make for the right big reason, for the right systemic reason. And where do you draw the line? You draw the line when you can't anymore. You, you draw the line where, oh, my gosh, I haven't had anything to eat all day, and the only place near me is a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so guess what? I'm getting a kid's meal with those yummy nuggets, and that's going to be perfect. I'm not gonna spend eight bucks there. I'm only gonna spend five thirty or whatever, but and and that's the slippery slope line is a that's a cynical space too to me. it's um I hear that yeah. yeah and how do we like and i it's not that I can't sleep tonight i I bought this car because I can get somewhere between thirty and fifty miles per gallon with it, and it's I bought it used. And it has hail damage, you know, so I got a deal on it. And, uh, but it's, I bought it for the gas mileage. Um, and my, I'm just realizing still, if I pump $43 into my car, half of that went to Russia, right? Half of it went to US and US companies or whatever, but the other half, that's Russian crude or Saudi crude. And I'm either supporting the war in in Kiev or I'm supporting chopping Khashoggi up in an embassy and dragging him out of there in pieces. I how can I actually run my debit card knowing I am funding these autocratic terrorist violent dictators and and then pretend, like just go about my day. Like it's a normal routine. I, it, it, I, I've got to find a way to make a change so that I, I don't give them money. We also have a massive oil tank out back that runs our, our steam boiler, which runs our radiators for heat. This is the last winter we're having radiators. And I keep – everybody mm. keeps telling me, no, no, keep your radiators. They're great heat. And what I want to tell them is they also support Saudi terrorism and Russian war. I can't do it. Yeah, and I mean the integrity
1: there is – is I, I think that's the, that's what we should be teaching our people, right? I mean I think too often we – and I'll include myself in that – um, are willing to kind of not think about this so that we do sleep better. But the truth is, once we think about it, it's, it's problematic. That's why one of my favorite professors used to always say, you know, when I teach Judaism, this is why I'll give you some maillocks on the side because it doesn't go down easy. Yeah. You know, this stuff doesn't go down easy. It's I, like, no, uh, what did Gore t- call it? You know, it's an inconvenient truth.
0: I don't want to take it too far, but I, I'm – Trying to watch and read believable stories about Russian military. And what is it like for the Russian military to obey these rules that they may or may not agree with? And what are the penalties on them if they don't? And for some of them, they, they're required to go into military. They did it. There's a chain of command. You do it or the punishment is severe on you and or your family. So you just obey the order and you just do it. And you can't listen. You can't think. You just have to do it. Um, that hurts, but, I get it. And, and the Russian military are being defended for that because they're stuck. They're in a, a spot or they could all refuse, right? They could all stop. Now we don't believe that they could all stop, but they could. And then I, I look around. I used to work for Slumberger, a very large French slash Texas co- company that mines oil out of the ground for all the big refineries. And it was 80,000 employees. I worked for them for a long time. And and I I think about everybody in that oil industry that is getting paid and their salary and their pension and their their kids' braces and their last vacation. It's all paid for on money that I spent pumping my gas. And what didn't go into their pocket went to Hooten's. And and I wonder how that, what it what would it look like if they just stopped? If everybody that supported the oil industry out of Saudi, like, what would it look like for Exxon and BP and all of them to say, no, we're not helping you mine your oil. No, we don't want your money. No. Um, and they just drew the line and said, no, he, he can't fund this craziness. But but americans really have a hard time saying no to cashing a check and and what does it look like to actually spend money for an ethic as opposed to breaking our ethic to get money Mm. and and that's where i feel like the american system is being challenged right now yes
1: and i think that what you just articulated is exactly the the challenge that we should all be thinking about
0: Okay, switch of topic.
1: <laughs> so my top, my topic is a little bit um, is, is a little bit different in that um, I want to talk about making mistakes as clergy. So you know, apologies to our listeners who are not clergy, but you know, hopefully this resonates in some way. You know, I think this is one of those areas where values and real life are in constant are in conflict because I think everyone has the value of, you know, everyone makes mistakes and it's okay. But the truth is, you know, th- there's, there's mistakes that hurt people. Like, like, and I mean genuine mistakes. I don't mean like doing something awful, you know, with intention. um And, and I have nothing specific in mind. Like this isn't like I have an ax to grind or I'm thinking of one particular thing, but I have been thinking about, um you know, the past month or so I've probably made a few more just little oopsies. I, I call them like I should have had a V8. <laughs> For our younger listeners, you should look that up. Did I bring this up yeah. in our last conversation? Yeah, yeah last I time, feel yeah. Like, I feel like I did. Yeah. Um uh, see, that was a mistake. Um <laughs> and you know, thankfully i don't think anything has had you know god forbid lasting damage or anything but I, I as clergy and you know i think the same is true for teachers or of course you know the medical profession is you know you, you do so much in a day and yet the something that occupies a fraction of time could have consequences that are Far, that far outweigh kind of that quote unquote short interaction, and so I, th- this is one of those topics where your your response is going to help my thinking.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So um, yeah, just kind of the wh- what what is a reasonable not that it's an easily quantified thing, but you know when when someone makes a mistake that really affects you personally, you know, not just a Oh, I said I'd call it 12, but instead I called it 1215, which, by the way, is annoying and frustrating. It certainly can be. But, like, what's the limits of when something, even if it's an honest mistake, is just not okay and that there are consequences? I've just kind of been thinking about that sort of thing lately.
0: And you're asking this from a clergy perspective, when a clergy person makes a mistake into their congregation, community, or or a person. Or
1: a leader, or someone who has kind of a a, – I I don't love the word authority, but certainly power to some degree. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, and I – okay, that's fair. So the three that I remember being attached to one another are – if someone has the authority to do it, if, if we as a community have given them certain authority, then we must also give them the, the responsibility to do it if, or vice versa. If we've given them the responsibility for it, we must also give them the authority to go do it the way they think is best. And with that comes accountability. So if they make – depending on the size of the responsibility, the greater the accountability. And the more freedom they have authority to do what they think is right. So those three are always attached. And somebody who doesn't want accountability for their mistakes should not assume authority or take on responsibility for something because they are attached. And I think congregations, religious institutions suck at that <laughs> for what I can tell we love to give people the responsibility for something, but don't like giving them the authority for it. So we will give somebody responsibility, and a board or a committee or a, a higher governing body will maintain authority for it. I that does that's not fair. The other thing that I think religious institutions suck at is accountability. Um, when somebody does blow it, make a big mistake, there has to be a process towards truth and peace and reconciliation right where we oh boy that was not what needed to happen we we gave this to you we trusted this to you we asked you to go do it you tell me what was your thought process as you made those decisions or sent those emails or said that or did that and let's unpack that that did not work and here's why what can we learn how do we do it different next time for me that's accountability um there can also be the kind of accountability that costs a person the authority um, if they really blow it. Um, And some of the little places for me are like, uh, I try never to meet alone with a female in a private place, ever, right? Ever. So it's really hard Um, I always am like, hey, meet me for coffee. And I don't care if she's 80 and I'm, you know, 50, whatever. Um, Hey, meet me for coffee over at the coffee shop. And and a lot of times they'll say, no, let's not. And I'm like, okay. And then I'll say, hey, can we sit out on your back deck? It's a great day, right? And we sit out there where people could see us if they walk by. And all that is because I'm aware of the accountability problem. that I might make a mistake, you know, not that I would with an (laughs) 80-year-old or any other woman for that matter. (laughs) Or any other woman. I know you. Yeah. That's right. But the idea is you have to avoid even the appearance of mistakes when you're clergy. And that's something I didn't know when I became a pastor. Like, in my other world, you did what you thought was right, and your bosses held you accountable, and it was really obvious. Clergy have a 1,000 bosses—
1: Yep. it's a, so in in Judaism. I mean, you know enough about keeping kosher, and I'm sure our, our listeners do too. That even if you don't know, you know specific intricacies, you'll, you'll appreciate the story that let's say uh, I keep kosher and I'm making an appointment with you to meet for coffee, right? And we're trying to figure out where to go. Just like when you did live, live here and you were uh, in West Oconi and I was in Five Points at Temple and we'd like try to figure out where, well, that restaurant's near you, Joel. Let's go near me. So, you know, we're trying to figure out where to meet. And you say, how about McDonald's? There's a McDonald's exactly halfway between us. Now, let's say um, I get there earlier than you, and I want to order a coffee. And, and uh, it, Actually, getting earlier than you is not really the point. There's nothing inherently, quote unquote, unkosher about ordering a coffee at McDonald's. Now, I can't eat at McDonald's because that is certainly unkosher. I mean, they, not only do they serve unkosher uh, beef, I mean, their hamburgers are not you know, the uh, which is the word for kosher. Um, but, you know, they also have bacon sometimes and they mix milk and meat with cheese. So, so you can't eat at McDonald's, but w- why can't I drink coffee? Because it gives the appearance that I might not keep kosher. Now I don't keep kosher. I, I don't proclaim to keep kosher. So it's a little different, but that appearance of propriety or doing the right thing is a, Big deal, and I, I think it's even more of a big deal, for lack of a better expression, in the court of public opinion than it is actual Jewish law. And I think they, I think you're spot on that that's that's mm-hmm. correct, um, religiously. And I and I think part of the challenge comes from the tension that, out, you know, when you talk about having a thousand bosses, um, you know, my congregation is a little smaller, so it's it's just it's like three hundred <laughs> bosses.
0: It's not just um, the congregation, buddy. It's, oh, it's no, of all course, of the that's interfaith right. group. Yep. It's oh, everybody sure. that you ever meet, ever. For right? sure, ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's everyone
1: you've met, ever. Yeah. Um, but it's that they don't, they're not trained to do what I do. So, you know, my wife and I have this conversation all the time. You know, she's in the Department of Psychology at University of Georgia. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist. Now, it's very, you know, the, the head of the department Is not a clinical psychologist, but is a PhD in psychology and teaches at the university. There's enough overlap that, you know, that person has a sense of what Emily does and what should, what she should do or perhaps shouldn't be doing. But, you know, she's perfect. Of course she, there's nothing she shouldn't be doing. But, um, whereas as a rabbi and as a clergy, everyone has opinions. Of of, You know, if you ask anyone in your church or my synagogue, you know, what does the rabbi do well? What does the reverend do well or not well? They're all going to have answers to both questions. (laughs) Um, And they're valid answers. I'm not trying to suggest by any means that their opinions don't matter. God forbid. No. But what I am saying is that there is a tension in the fact that they did not go through the training or education that we did, and yet they – are our supervisors? That is a strange disconnect, and I can't really think of many other jobs where that's the case, um, and where you know our bosses are also volunteers and layled. So th- where when you talk about accountability, it is very hard to hold volunteers accountable in the same way you do someone who's a paid professional. I mean that's just mm-hmm. that's just reality.
0: Yeah, and Jesus, I think, had some stuff to say about this, of course. <laughs> so uh, he had some some buddies around him who said, hey, 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 we, when do we get some of the authority? We, we want to sit at your right and left hand. When do we get to have some of the power and authority that you have? And he said, you don't get it. Like, when you sit in this chair, it's not about power. It's about service. And And if you want power— you're looking for the wrong thing and mm. and i have come to not just read that as a those who come to synagogue or temple or church i i've come to read that particularly for clergy that that those who really want to get get up close to god have to realize you are going to be in the the service industry which means people are going to have constant silly feedback all the time and occasionally it hurts like it really hurts um to get and i'll say
1: i I say this sometimes to congruence sometimes i also get compliments for things that i don't deserve and i try and have the integrity and honesty uh to say that so for example um was it last Friday, two Fridays ago, we had our annual Sisterhood service, which is a pretty big deal. I mean, it's kind of like a little bit of a production, especially in the Zoom era. Lots of multimedia, editing, all that stuff. And you know, I, I'm the person behind the beam of playing the slides and putting them in order, but I didn't create the slides, I didn't create the readings, I didn't assign the readings. There were a lot of moving parts, of which I was certainly a part. Um, but a few people said, "Oh, Rabbi, that was such a lovely service. Thank you." And I said, "You know, please thank Sisterhood. Like they organized the service. I, I um, and you know, there's lots of things that I think we bo- we both both meaning uh, both of us and clergy get praised for and um, fussed at for that aren't in our control. Let alone yeah. the things that are in our yeah. control. But
0: yeah, we're we're updating our church directory. Um. The, we had a software program to manage all of our membership, and it it died because it was an old-school Windows 98 program. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so it died in, like, 2014, 15, and we weren't using it anymore, but barely trying to keep it still running. And we had failed for the last five or six years to keep a current, accurate member database. Well, we bought a new one. And it's all in the cloud and we're trying to update it and import and get everybody's stuff right. So we printed a first draft of it and set it on a table out in the lobby. And the negative comments about the first draft. Well, the, her name spelled wrong and the, that's not the right picture. And oh, that's not my email. And well, like that's why we set it out, y'all. It's a first draft, right? We have, we have all these little scraps and post-it notes and yeah. old files of you that and you've probably changed a lot of your stuff. So what I'm trying to tell you is we had six email addresses for you. Which one or two do you want us to have and do we have those spelled right? We had several phone numbers, but it was a landline. You don't even have a landline anymore and it was before you moved to Heron Point. Which phone number do you want us to have? And and they couldn't see the task some some a few could not see the task as, "Yay, we're getting an accurate member directory. I'll help you make it accurate." They saw it as, "Ugh, you didn't get it right. You didn't have it right. It wasn't right." And so the and and they didn't say that to the outreach communications team or the church administrator. They said that to me because yep. I'm the pastor and I'm standing there. And yep. And so I have to have a boundary that tells them, you're whining, stop it. (laughs) Would you like some cheese with your wine? It's a first draft. (laughs) Cut it out. Um, Just mark it up and be grateful that by Easter we'll have a great new directory. Two, you know who to tell this to, right, if you have a – but be nice when you tell them. Give, hey, I found a few corrections for you, so this will get better next time. A, B, C. Instead of, I don't know why you put that picture in for her. She hasn't used that picture in six years, and her hair isn't even yeah. that color anymore or whatever. Yeah. And and just to watch the ability for someone to come to me with a pretty low-level issue and to pretend like it's a high-level issue. And meanwhile, there's a war in Ukraine, and there's a member who's in the hospital at Johns Hopkins, Yep. Yeah. and there's another member who just got a— a bad lung I, diagnosis, right? There's a funeral that we have to get scheduled. We're entering Lent, and I need to get everything ready for Ash Wednesday. And you know, it's like there's some big issues, y'all. That that we spelled your name with a A instead of an E again. You know, I, what's so funny is I needed to tell this person that we are. Our associate pastor, she's on sabbatical. Her name is Caitlin, C a i t l a n. A very interesting spelling of Caitlin. There, like at least two of the three ladies who were complaining spell Caitlin's name wrong in half for eight years.
1: <laughs> of <laughs> so, course, right? Of course, they did. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: really yeah. important that we get their name wrong, yeah. their their name right in the well, directory. This, is,
1: this goes to the. This is this goes to one of my sayings that it's like it, people only know what they know. And part, this is another struggle, I think, um, or attention. struggle's not quite the right word with uh, churches and synagogues. Is that? whatever so you know one of the things we say about Judaism is uh, it's paths are many and all its paths are peace it, and and i use this as a kind of grand way of saying there are many entries into Judaism and into temple life many you know for some it's friday night services for some it's adult ed for some it's being on the finance committee and never coming to services right like there's all sorts of valid ways of of being you know a um i don't productive is not the right word like a wonderful community member The challenge, though, is when you only – not only when you only know that one way, but when you think that that's all that's happening. Like it's one thing for me only to like – I mean this is going to be a dumb analogy. Like if I were to say I only like science fiction movies, okay, that is no problem. But of course I'm aware that there's tons of other things out there. I'm just choosing the science fiction movies. My challenge is when people are like, Oh, nothing's going on at temple because the one thing that they're interested in isn't happening or maybe is happening, but in a different way, but therefore nothing's happening. And it's like, come on. Yeah. you know,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's well in all Christian churches, it's always music, but I, I, I sat with some, you know, some older folk recently and, uh, and they were saying, well, you know, we don't, we don't have enough organ. We don't have enough old hymns, that kind of thing. And I said, okay, um, like on the whole big wide spectrum of how Christians worship God with music, would you say that our church is pretty diverse? Like we cover a big wide spectrum of all the ways that Christians musically worship God. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've got a wide range of diversity. And I, you know, and I was like, really? What do you mean? He goes, well, we sing some of the hymns that, that we sang when I was a kid, but we sing some that were newer, and sometimes we play them on the organ, and sometimes we play them on the piano, and that's all, boy, that's pretty diverse. And I was like, holy cow, <laughs> you know, on the massive bell curve of all the songs and ways people play those songs to worship God, we are like a tiny little tail way over here where we still only really use organ and piano, and we only sing hymns. That's that's a really small percentage of the greater Christian world that worship God with music. But for him, having grown up in a white Protestant church his whole life, it feels to him like we're really stretching it.
1: To him, hi. Get it? He only H-Y-M-A. knows. Yeah,
0: I got it. Sorry. He only and knows that's... what he knows, right? And so when we go past what he knows, it feels like a stretch. But how to tell him, like, oh my gosh, there are people who worship God through music in thousands of other ways, and we are like 0.5 on those scales. That's lo- such a good, like,
1: eye-opening exercise. I like that. I like yeah. that. Oh. I also like the, and appreciate the, the reminder that not everything's a 10. The war in Ukraine is a 10. You know, the spelling someone's name wrong or other little oopsies, yeah. not a 10. That that doesn't excuse it. We all want to do the best we can do, of course, of course. Um, we also have to be kind to ourselves, too. I, I was just um, meeting with a wonderful congregant and, um, where we were taught you, you know like kind of self it, it's interesting because i see this person differently than they see themselves with regard to leadership potential and just and, and i i always admire the kind of imposter complex because to <laughs> me there's an integrity there mm-hmm. and a humility mm-hmm. um but sometimes like we have to be kinder to ourselves like don't ju- don't judge yourself so harshly don't judge others harshly either but don't judge yourself so harshly uh
0: those are the Good clergy stuff. mistakes I hate the most is where I I feel myself um, not able to hold my standard with someone and I crack a little. I I get a little impatient or a little defensive or whatever as opposed to just being rock solid. Just you know what? Yeah, she's pounding on you, she's personally insulting your work ethic or your or your theology. You know what? She's not a pro at this. You are. Don't take it personal. It's okay. She doesn't it's know so what It's so hard, talking. though. It's oh, so man. hard. It's impossible. And then I And I would
1: say, I would say, and I would say, too, like, if we didn't crack, we wouldn't be real. I mean, it's one thing to be professional and appropriate and all those things. I mean, like, absolutely. Um, but when you're, especially when you're in a place, I mean, I, I've been here now in Athens 10 years, but even, you know, I mean, you're relatively, you're on your, what, third, fourth year?
0: Just my second. Yeah, just, well, just yeah I mean, You know how here. time is.
1: But, you know, even after a few months, you start developing relationships. Yeah. People have the capacity to, to hurt your feelings or lift you up in really meaningful ways. And, you know, I mean, if if, if if we that can't is a risk be vul- of
0: being clergy right because we have to be vulnerable to them in order to do that, our job well
1: that's exactly what I was gonna say it's like I can't do my job well without being vulnerable and so to yeah 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 yeah
0: um and as soon as yeah. we are it they're what we give them access they they have the keys Absolutely. they're right in and they just Absolutely. say that one little thing and boom it's like a oh. dagger between the ribs
1: until Wednesdays when we talk to each other.
0: <laughs> Tonight's a special Wednesday in the in a lot of Christian tradition. It's Ash Wednesday. Yesterday was Mardi Gras, right? The the big Tuesday, the last Tuesday before Lent starts, and the season of Lent uh, begins tonight. Uh, so we're in the forty days um not including the sabbaths until easter so it's uh it's a big season
1: well i hope that that starts uh meaningfully for you and your community Joel. and uh yeah we'll we'll think of topics for the for next week
0: yeah i'm sure there'll be something lenty for me but i don't know what for I, you <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe i'll think of something lenty and, and and all right sure throw you
0: a skew <laughs> yeah something pre passovery <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, have a great week, everyone.
0: Yeah, keep it real. Thank you for joining us on the Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today. invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.